Well, greetings and Happy New Year uh, to both the Weinberg and the Bloberg congregations. It's just so great to be kicking the year off and partnering and teaming together to uh, meet and gather online. And uh, no doubt we're deeply excited to be together in person, but um, really trusting that uh, we can serve you and uh, really enjoy a good start to the new year. Thanks to Andre for kicking us off so beautifully last week and uh, just the sense of the new self. Thank you, Andre, for taking us through that. And today I think I'm going to land a little more practically because I've been reflecting a little bit on New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Now, if you're anything like me, you've tried them before. And you've tried them with some degree of success. Sometimes they've gone well. Sometimes they've gone not so well. Uh, in many of our lives, the 3rd of January, after we have recovered from a late night on New Year's Day, and uh, the 3rd of Jan, we start our exercise routine, and we go for it. And actually, usually on the 3rd of Jan, we're so excited about our resolutions, we do everything twice. And it's usually by about the 8th of Jan that something has come in and distracted us, or you know, moved us off the path, and we missed our first commitment. Our first thing that we said we were going to do, whether it was exercise or diet or whatever it may be. And so often it's diet because the holiday isn't quite over. And one of the aunties brings one of those delicious meals and you just can't say no. And the resolution that was so strong on the third has begun to lose its power by the 8th of Jan. Now, I don't want to be too harsh on New Year's resolutions. What I do want to do is try to today bring a biblical take on what a New Year's resolution could look like. In fact, I want to ask the question of Scripture. Does the Scripture speak to resolutions? Does the Scripture speak to starting our lives, to to looking at a a, a way of viewing promises uh, that we make to ourselves, commitments that we make? Is there a scriptural precedent for something like a New Year's resolution? And I want to suggest that actually there is. And to do that, I want to look at Psalm 16 and to take a deep look into this beautiful passage. So if you've got your Bibles, open up and we're going to read through this beautiful passage. It's a Psalm of David. David was a warrior king. He was the great king of Israel who, in a sense, was one of the foreshadowings of of the kingdom of God that was to come. And here he writes. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. What a compelling vision for his life. 
David is caught up in a sense of God's goodness engulfing him. But also, David has this beautiful commitment to keeping his eyes always on the Lord. That feels like a brave resolution that he makes. Don't if you pick that up in verse 8. He says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. The ESV says it slightly differently. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. For me, that's a breathtaking view or vision for one's life. Imagine as a follower of Jesus, you could say that you personally have set the Lord always before you. Compelling, right? The thought that in everything we do, our primary filter for our lives is that we are looking through a God filter, through a Father filter, through the the filter of Jesus Christ, love and message and mercy. And we look through that filter into the world. That is how David writes the psalm. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. And what happens in his life, it says, his body will rest secure. Sounds a lot like Psalm 23, that this beautiful shepherd will cause him to to rest by still waters. I I don't know about you, but, but that sounds like a good option for my life in 2022. I would love to know that my body will rest secure. We, we don't know what's going to happen. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's this, that we can't predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how many waves. We don't know what challenges or difficulties might come to us by way of our work, our family. What might come in our calendar that could throw us off. We, we simply can't predict it. But we can be in control of a few things. And David, in a sense, creates a reframing of a resolution where he doesn't go, I'm doing this for a year. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, always before me. And there is a beautiful outcome. My soul, my body rests secure. If there's one thing I want for you in in, in 2022 is that you have a sense of the peace of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Needless to say that a life of Deep contentment in God, a life of peace is not necessarily a walk in the park. I think it's safe to say that if you've been following Jesus for some time, and maybe you haven't, maybe you're new to the faith, I want to let you in on a little secret that to follow Jesus is not to have a walk in the park. Jesus in multiple places says that we are going to have troubles. And I wish I could tell you that 2022 is going to be just a plain old simple walk in the park. No challenges. You are going to have it easy. Unfortunately, we can't promise that. But one thing we can do is to walk with God and to try our best in the power of the Holy Spirit to take control of that which God has given us control of. 
I love verse 1 through 5 because it begins to bring about some warlike language. Uh, David is a warrior king. He's not just a king who sits tranquilly on a throne. He is a king who is a warrior, who has understood what it means to be at war. He is the, the, the writer who said he strengthened himself in the Lord, it says in, uh, in, in Chronicles. He strengthened himself in the Lord, should I say in Kings. He was one who found strength and courage in the Lord. Verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Notice this language that David uses in the psalm as he starts to speak to himself. He understands that if he doesn't speak to himself, there are other voices who will. There are others who will begin to speak into his year, his life, that will begin to shape what he should love, what he should do, how he should love or be loved. And so he says, I say to the Lord, I take some control. You are my Lord. He then gives a stern warning in verse four. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will pour out libations of blood to such gods. I will not, he says. I will not take up their name on my lips. He's making some commitments. I hope you're picking up how vociferously he feels about this. And then he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. So, 2022, how do you and I make our lot secure in God? With so much unpredictability flying around our world, what can we walk with God in? Well, firstly, I think it's safe to say that if you and I are going to do this thing well, we need to understand we're in a war. We're in a war. A war for our souls. A war for, for uh, what Paul Tripp calls awe, to see who God is and to have God always before us. David understood this. He said, I have set the Lord always before me, understanding that there were other gods who wanted to come in and say, I am more important. I deserve your time. I deserve your energy. And David says, no, I have set the Lord always before me. He is my portion. He is my cup. He is the one who makes my lot secure. So, what do we do? Because this war is, as Paul writes, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not easy to see. You look around, there's no swords, there's no uh, guns, there's no sense of war. What are you talking about, Roger? The war is a war of an internal nature. It's a war against the distractions and the, the idolatries of our age that are trying to call us away from following and enjoying Jesus and allowing him to lead us. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Isn't that worth reflecting on? It seems so obvious, but and yet how many of us can easily lose track of this? Don't be unwise, but be wise. Be careful how you live. This is Paul's instruction. Like uh, David obviously had lived under this wisdom, he was careful about how he lived. How careful are you about how you are going to live this year? How much thought 
What are the primary filters you're going to put on your heart and your mind into 2022? What activities are you going to give yourself to? What habits are you going to instill in your life that will shape what you love and what you hate, what you cherish and what you ignore? Those are such vital questions. Probably one of the most uh, disarming and difficult exercises that I get to do is, and I want to ask you to do the same, is to go back to yesterday, just yesterday, and imagine your daily routine. I I try to do this with myself and and with our church uh, uh, fairly often, but to go back a day and say, okay, imagine how you woke up yesterday. What was the first thing that you thought? What was the way that you greeted the person, the first person you saw? What was the first thing you read? What was your first instinct to get to? Was it coffee? Was it the phone? Was it scripture? Was it prayer? What did you desperately need when you woke up? Carry on through the day. What habits did you have as you went to work or when you went into the, into the day? What habits did you have in conversation? Did you listen or talk more? Did you ingest what was going on? Were you present or were you distracted? In the middle of the day, did you have any habit that caused you angst or peace? Did you have anything that drew you to God or away from God? Your evening routines. Run through your day. Then answer this question. If you were to live that day, Over and over and over again for the next 10 years. Who would you become? Who would you become? Would you become a person who is more like Jesus, a person of love? Or would you find yourself in the slow creep of distraction and disorientation away from God? Potentially towards a less present, more judgmental, less Christ-like person. I can't answer that for you, but I do want you to understand that your daily life is shaping who you're becoming, what you're loving, and what you are transforming into. Our journey of transformation will never stop. The only question we need to ask is, what are we being transformed into? And so whilst I can't find a strong case for a New Year's resolution in the Scriptures, one of the things I can find is a strong case for a life that makes strong, regular, repeated commitments to following Jesus over and over again. What I call this, uh, and many of the ancients call it a rule of life, I call it a trellis for life. Whereby, as a follower of Jesus, you create a kind of line along which your life will go. The, the word rule of life comes from the word trellis. Anybody who's been into the vineyards in the Cape knows exactly what a, a trellis is. It helps the vine to grow in a path. It helps the vine to grow along a straight line so that it is easy to manage, so that it goes where it needs to go, so that it can get sufficient sun. It can grow as it ought to grow. A trellis for our lives is essentially creating habits, routines, patterns, of life, of thinking, of practice that will help our lives to grow towards the kind of person we're hoping to become. 
We cannot for a moment think that we as followers of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, will become like Jesus if we don't have a curriculum and a habit of life that is in line with the ways of Jesus. And we need to start this year with our eyes wide open and be honest about that. That is the case. And so my question as we start this year is, not do you have a trellis for life? My question is, is what is your trellis for life? What is your way of life? What are the habits that you have instituted in your life that are shaping who you're becoming? Because you and I have one. We all have a way of life. We all have morning routines. We all have daytime routines. We all have choices we've made, what we will and won't fill our minds with, what apps we will or won't put on our phone, what apps we or, or, or programs we will or won't watch. And all of those make up our trellis for life, our way of life. And we have set them and they are shaping us into a kind of person. So it's not, do you have one? It's what is it? And how is it shaping who you're becoming? I think of scriptural uh, examples of people who had obvious uh, trellises or ways of life. I think of Daniel who, who committed himself to praying three times a day. This was a habit in his life that shaped the heart of a man who was radically faithful. I think of Jesus, who it says regularly would go away to be with his father in heaven. He had this amazing habit. Or as he often did, he would teach people. Or I think of the early church who had their own habits. In Acts 2.42, they, had, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This was a regular habit they had in their lives. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, they put this into the trellis of their lives. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together. That's regular, but they had habits in the temple courts. They also broke bread in their homes and ate together. Eating together was part of their regular trellis for life. They chose to make sure that if they were following Jesus, they would eat meals together. It was part of their trellis for life. What's yours? What are the habits that you are putting in and instituting into your life? What are some of the habits you need to take out so that you can become a person of love as defined by Jesus in the scriptures? So I'm going to give you a little whistle-stop tour of my personal trellis for life. I have two pages that live up there, A3 pages, and they are like a dashboard for my life. They are commitments that I have made that basically define something of who I want, uh, the kind of habits I want to put in my life and how I'm going to do that. And really, the main page is what I call my trellis for life. And it's made up of two parts. The first part is vision. Where in this part, it's the top section of my rule of life. I simply have a whole bunch of categories of things in my life that I believe Jesus has a vision for my life. It's things like a husband, father, leader. And I have some descriptors underneath each of them. I want to be a servant-hearted husband. I want to be a loving, present father. I want to be a servant leader. And I write some descriptors of the kinds of man I believe Jesus is calling me to be. And I fill up the top section of my trellis for life page, all with the kinds of things I believe God's calling me. Then at the bottom, I put in practical lifestyle commitments that I know will help me to become that kind of person. 
by the grace of God. This is not about me. Some of us might go, hey, this is, this is a lot about works, right? My answer is no. Paul says, I worked harder than all the others in 1 Corinthians 15. Not I, but the grace of God. You put a trellis for life in place. It's not you. It's the grace of God that helps you to follow Jesus and become a person like him. In the bottom section, which is all about the big hows, I've committed myself. Things like a daily time in scripture, morning journaling, weekly commitments to uh, getting to church and getting to life group. Uh, weekly physical activities, dates with my wife, missional meals and moments with people who are far from Jesus or who are marginalized in society, monthly financial generosity commitments that I'm making, quarterly reflection times to sit with others or to be in a prolonged time with God to reflect on who I am becoming and what Jesus is doing in my life, to mention just a few. The point of this document is that it is a document that helps me to put pen to paper about what Jesus is doing and what I'm trusting he will do. And what's important is this is not a New Year's resolution. This is a new me resolution. This is since I've become a follower of Jesus, I have been given a new self. As Andre reminded us, we've got this new self we've been given by Jesus. Now, how am I living into that? How am I being transformed into the image of the person Jesus created me to be? So with the last couple of minutes, I just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider. It doesn't need to be a fancy document that you create. In fact, it should probably start by you articulating the habits you already have in your life that you want to keep and articulating the habits that you have in your life that you would love to drop and to start there. But a great trellis for life is made up of a few ingredients. Firstly, it's made up of a biblical Telos. Now, what are you talking about? What does telos even mean? Verse 11, Paul, uh, David writes and he says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Infused in David's view of his life was that he was heading in a Godward direction. That the outcome of his life would be that every action of his life would sometime and in some way find a landing point in an eternal experience with God. One of the tragedies of the, the theories of evolution as brought about by Darwin is that essentially there has been an end to our telos. Telos means that you have a journey, you have a trajectory. A telephone is about connecting one person to another. Our telos is about us realizing that our lives have an outcome, that they are heading towards a transcendent outcome as uh, created by God. Now, if you have a trellis for life, you are creating it knowing that you are heading towards God, towards living for his glory, that you were made for a better place. You were made by God, for God, for his kingdom. And this is a kind of dress rehearsal for the main show that's coming up. You create a trellis in that way. Johann Sebastian Bach, we all know the great composer, at the bottom of all of his uh, comp uh, compositions, he would write these three letters, S-D-G, which simply meant soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. 
That's why he composed, because he knew that his life had a telos. He was heading towards God. He was made for God. And everything he did today was about that day when he would fully and finally see the glory of God. And so when he composed, whenever he did anything, it was to the glory of God. When you wake up, when you uh, first think your first thought for the day, when you contemplate what you will take in, what you will say, how you will say it, will you do that with a telos that heads you towards the glory of God? Or will you shut the ceiling and say, everything is about me, for me, forever? Secondly, a great trellis doesn't, a trellis doesn't just have a, a, a kind of a biblical telos. It also has firm foundations. It's firstly as firm foundations in grace. You see, if you're going to create a trellis for life, let me tell you from the moment you start it, right at the outset, you're going to let yourself down. You're going to let yourself down. And yet uh, David writes and he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. What he's saying here is he's simply saying, you know what? God is immensely kind. He's given me more than I deserve. But like the prodigal son who kind of comes back to his senses, goes back to his father and his father meets him. He, his father doesn't stand arms folded going, did you learn your lessons, son? He runs out by grace and he accepts him back in. Here's the thing. You want to create a trellis for life. You want to create habits that are going to transform you or help you transform into the image of Jesus. You need to settle that this is in an ecosystem of the grace of of God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. There is nothing you can do to transform yourself. All you can do is place yourself in the riverbanks of his amazing love and in a lifestyle and a way of following him so that he can do what only he can do. It's not about you transforming you. It's about you getting in the river so that he can saturate you in his love. You need foundations of grace. You need foundations upon scripture as well. You're not trying to kind of accomplish your personal uh, vision of success or even society's vision of success. When you create for yourself a trellis for life, a rule for life, a way of life that you say, hey, these are my, this is my course. You want to make sure that you are saturating yourself in scripture. You're saturating yourself in, in the, the biblical version of what success looks like. Wow. It's a scary thought considering that the apex of scripture is a man on a cross who is crucified for the sins of the world. Our great hero in scripture died on a cross, as did many other great heroes of scripture. So success needs to be defined by the crucified savior, which means that you would do well to say, what does it look like for me in my life to become a person of love? And you want to define success about, by asking, how do I become more like Jesus? How do I become a person of humility, of tenderness, of, of courage, of bravery, of leadership and love based on servant-heartedness? Try to find your definition for the kind of person you're becoming, not in society's norms telling you what to do. By all means, we want you to grow in your influence in your workplace. We want you to be able to, and, and scripture has nothing against you growing your income. 
But it does if it's all about you becoming more generous towards yourself and less generous towards the world. At that point, you want to write in your uh, trailers for life, who are you becoming? You're becoming a person who understands the scriptural best for you is a man or a woman of great generosity, of great love. Hey, and finally, you want to have your foundations in community. The whole of the, the scriptures are written in what's called a strong group mentality, a strong group mindset, which simply says that the Bible knows nothing of the hyper-individualistic worlds that we live in. Uh, We live in a world that says the more mature I get, the less I need people. So that's why I finish school. I leave home. I leave home. I get a job. I get a job once I've qualified from whatever I studied, and I need people less and less. Scripture doesn't know that. Scripture says, hey, like the prodigal son, he's becoming less mature when he goes on his own and becomes independent and needs no one. The, the, the healthy version of, of the kind of person we should become is a person who's growing in interdependence, who's learning to love and be loved, who's learning to, to realize that an expression of need for God is to actually need help and love from community. So as you're creating the kind of person you're becoming, by no means exclude your regular rhythms of living in community, especially the community of God. Okay, and then finally, a great trellis for life needs great wisdom. Great wisdom. Think of how David, who writes, I have set the Lord always before me. He also says in verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. To create a trellis for your own life is to try your very best with the faculties God has given you to become a person who creates habits for life that will attract the transforming work of Jesus in your heart. And to do that requires great wisdom because your life is not like the person next to you's life. And your life has different seasons and scenarios that it will go through. And in all those different seasons and scenarios, it will require that you keep going to God and are able to bring tweaks and transformation to your own ways of life. Because a person with a three-month-old baby is struggling to get up and have early morning devotionals. But, but, but you need to realize that's God's season for you. And that very child that he's put into your arms is God's gift to you to help you to become a person of love, to be able to empathize and to be able to experience what it means to be a servant leader who, when you feel like you're accomplishing nothing, are still able to be loved. John Tyson talks about ontological lightness where we as people are unable to feel like we are worth something if we're not doing something. What a scary thought that we become ontologically light. Why? Because we attach our meaning to our activities. If I'm doing stuff, then I'm accomplishing. That makes it difficult if you've got a newborn. But what if your newborn is God's gift to you to bring transformation? to your life, to teach you that it's not about how much you feel like you're accomplishing, but how much God is actually nurturing your soul when it feels like you're doing nothing. What about you just don't have the dream job? In fact, you're searching for a job. 
Hey, can you have a healthy trellis for life in this season? The answer is absolutely yes. Because it's in this season that you get to set up your priorities that go beyond and before you have a job or the dream job. You're saying, before I've got what the world says is most important, I've got what I know is most important. I have put the Lord always before me. I wake up and have my routine, not because I'm motivated by my job. I wake up and have my routines because I am made for God. And my soul needs him regardless of what I am going through. No matter what my disappointments, I am made for God. And so James chapter 1, we probably know it says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given them. As you consider building your own trellis for life, here's a few things I would suggest. First, start basic and build from there. Don't, don't do something that's overwhelming and huge architecture. Just start with the basics. By the way, on the Common Ground Bloberg Facebook page, uh, in our uh, playlists, we've got a whole series on how to develop a rule of life. Please go check that out. And maybe you want to do that yourself. Secondly, ensure it's sustainable and doable. Don't set standards for yourself that are completely unrealistic. Thirdly, edit and amend it as you go along. You're going to realize over time that this thing's not going to uh, be a perfect uh, kind of piece of artwork the moment you write it. You're going to be learning as you go. Uh, next, include trusted and loved ones in the journey of creating your rule of life. Some people might go, yo, you're actually being too hard on yourself. Uh, just you know, dial back you know, an hour and 20 every morning in the scriptures before you take kids to school and start your, your job. That's too much. Why don't you just commit to 30 minutes or whatever it may be? Others might go, hey, there's more for you. Come on, let's trust God for a little more. But include people in that. And then make it a source of life and joy, fun and adventure. Don't create a rule of life that feels like the whip over the back. Make a rule of life, a trellis for life that inspires you, that reminds you that God has put a calling over your life, that you are made for the glorious inheritance that he's got on your life. And there is much to be done in the kingdom of God. And he's going to use you. He's got stuff that he's going to do through you and your community that you and I need to take seriously. Let's not kind of tiptoe our way into the year. Let's take the bull by the horn, so to speak. Let's say yes to the stuff God is calling us to. And let's put habits in our lives that align to David's words. I have set the Lord always before me. So much arguing going on in our world at the moment about what's the high priority. Is it the, the hospitals and the medical fraternity? That's, how we, that's why we need to lock down. Other people are going, you can't lock down because of that. You know what? We need to make sure we keep the economy open. The economy matters most. Other people are going, no, no, it's not the economy. You're sure keep it all open. But it's about our emotional and mental health because we need each other. And there's these multiple dials on the dashboard and everyone's fighting to say, look at mine, look at mine. And everybody wants to sit in the pilot seat and say, I can drive this thing. If you would let me, I'm telling you, I would tweak all the dials just perfectly. Here's my suggestion this year. That we step out of the driver's seat. We're not the pilot. We are in a very complex world and our very lives have their own complexities. 
There are multiple dials in our lives, whether it's family relationships, whether it's financial challenges, whether it's future uncertainties. There are so many dials. And we always find ourselves going, this is the priority, this is the priority. What if this year, as we create a trellis for our lives, we are saying, by faith, I'm stepping out of the pilot seat and I'm putting the only one who is trustworthy to drive. His name is Jesus Christ. If we take his invitation where he says in Mark chapter 1, come follow me and we follow him. We sit behind him and we let him tweak the dials. We let him decide how we should live our lives. And we invite him into this journey. This is not us inviting Jesus onto our journey. This is Jesus inviting us into his. Let's go with him. Regardless of what unpredictable things may come our way. When we go with Jesus, we know that we take his easy yoke, his light burden. And we know that we are in the safest hands imaginable. So, Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you gave us your son, that we might walk under the easy burden, the light yoke, under the beautiful, humble, and gentle, the lowly one who calls us to himself. And so, Jesus, today, as we look ahead at a new year, we ask you that you would coach us to live our lives, to put you always before us, because the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And we are so grateful that you allow us to walk with you. Come and take the reins. Come and drive as the primary driver of this amazing journey that you've given us called life. Amen.